All right, well, happy Easter, everybody. Uh, as you can see, next weekend, we are beginning a new series called Drive Through Love, and it's all about relationships. Whether you're single, married, have kids, don't have kids, whatever relational season that you're in right now, this series is going to speak to it. Now, we really wrestled, honestly, with the season that we're in as a country and as a world with whether or not to do a series on relationships. But here's what we're finding. There is a magnifying glass on relationships right now. Whether you feel alone or isolated, whether you feel like you just want to get away from the people who are in your house, more and more people are sensing that their relationships need some help. And so we're going to speak right into it starting next weekend. This weekend, we are celebrating the most monumental moment in human history. Jesus Christ was crucified and killed. His body was wrapped in linens and laid in a tomb. But then according to eyewitnesses, the stone was rolled away and Jesus Christ rose back to life. The headlines that you're going to see this week in your newsfeed or your newspaper are going to say things like, we may never get rid of the coronavirus. You're going to see headlines like, brace yourself for something worse than Pearl Harbor or 9-11. You're going to see things like a long, dark hour is ahead. But here's the headline you won't see with your physical eyes, but it's going to be every bit as true as any of those headlines. Jesus Christ is alive. The tomb is empty. Sin and death has been defeated once and for all. And so what you need to know today is for every single one of us here, Jesus says, if you will put your faith and trust in him, you too will defeat death. You too can have the hope of eternal life. Putting our faith in Christ changes everything. About 11 or 12 years ago, I was walking through the Mall of America with my wife, Sarah, and I saw the dumbest thing I had ever seen in my entire life. I'm not kidding you. I called Sarah over and I went on a rant about how the apocalypse must be upon us. I said, are our lives so meaningless that we are willing to spend money on that? Here's a picture of what I was looking at at the Mall of America. I was standing outside the American Girl doll store watching a grown adult braid the hair of a doll. And they weren't braiding the doll's hair because they were going to put it on the display in the front window to entice people to come into the store. No, no, no. This was a doll that some little girl had brought from home to have a paid professional do her hair just right. How are we going to explain this if we ever find life forms on another planet? Like, what are we going to say? You know, we just, we're willing to spend money because we really want our doll's hairs done just right. That was 11 or 12 years ago. 10 years ago, I was standing in a hospital room where my wife was giving birth to our third child. And the doctor pulled this baby up, still attached to the umbilical cord, and said, Dad, is it a boy or is it a girl? Our two oldest kids were both boys, and that's not a question that you want to get wrong as a dad. And so I squinted for just a moment, and then I said, it's a girl. And when those three words came out of my mouth, my wife and I both burst out into tears. We named her Isabel, and she's a testament 
that dads make that daughters make their dads do dumb things. For example, when Isabel turned six, the American Girl Doll of the Year that year, they named it Isabel. And so what did we do? We went out and spent hundreds of dollars on a doll just because some marketing person in New York said, yeah, let's just name it Isabel. It was like we didn't even have a choice. It was like, yeah, of course we're going to spend hundreds of dollars on three pounds of plastic. I mean, come on, the three pounds of plastic has the same name as our daughter. And then for her birthday that year, we gave Isabel a coupon to go to the American Girl doll store. And we said, and you can get your doll's hair braided. She actually ended up getting her doll's ears pierced. I'm not even kidding. This is what she did. And so we spent money on that. And then we walked upstairs to the cafe where we spent more money. They seated my wife, they seated myself, they seated my daughter, Isabel, and then they brought out a high chair for the doll, Isabel, with plastic saucers and silverware and cups, and we sat there and had lunch with our doll. Now, we could have done this at home and it would have been completely free, but, but we wanted to spend money so that we could have lunch together right there. Here's a picture of my daughter, Isabel, and she's having lunch with her doll, Isabel. This was when she was six years old, so she's older these days. But guess what? I'm a convert. I love the American Girl doll store. I was so sad when they shut down at the Mall of America. We would have done Isabel's next four birthdays there if I had somehow fallen into a quarter of a million dollars. I think that's pretty much what it would have cost. But here's my point. Something changed. I went from not being able to stand the American Girl doll store to all of a sudden, I love it. What changed? There was a birth. My daughter was born, and her birth changed my perspective on the American Girl doll store. I've had one other experience like that in my life. If you've heard me speak before, you know that I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't go on Christmas, didn't go on Easter. The first time I ever walked into a church, I was wearing basketball shorts and a Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt. Wu-Tang Clan was a rap group that I liked at the time. But then in college, something changed. I began to explore who Jesus was for myself. And I came to believe that Jesus was a real person, not just someone you read about in history books or a fictitious character, but he was a real person who died a real death and who rose back to life in a physical and resurrected body. And that if I would put my faith and my trust in him, if I would unite myself to him, I too could live forever. Jesus has an interesting phrase that he uses to describe that kind of experience in a person's life. The phrase that he says is, you've been born again. In other words, every one of us is born physically out of our mother's womb. But then Jesus says, you need to be born again spiritually. You need to have a moment where you turn from your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and that new birth it changes you. It changed me. 
Just like my daughter's birth changed my perspective on the American Girl doll store, my new birth in Jesus Christ changed my perspective on him. And not only did it change my perspective on Jesus, it changed my entire life. I went from being a person who thought I would go to heaven because I was good. That's how I'd answer that question. Are you going to go to heaven? Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. And I never really defined what good was. It was more like 51% good, 49% bad. You know, I felt pretty good about my chances. But then I came to believe that I was a sinner who needed a savior. That no amount of good works or deeds was going to earn me salvation. I needed someone else to live a perfect life and who didn't deserve to die, but would give me the gift of eternal life. I started going to church. Not because I had to or someone was making me come. I went because I wanted to know God. I started to become convicted by my sin. When I was in high school, I used to just do whatever I wanted. And if it wasn't what God wanted me to do, I didn't feel bad about that. But all of a sudden, I started to feel this conviction when I would do something that God wouldn't want me to do. I stopped listening to music that objectified women and glorified sin. I stopped using profane language. I started to try to curb my anger, which had gotten out of control over the years. Now, none of this happened overnight, but it did happen in a moment, a moment of putting my full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One of my friends has a 12-year-old son who got in trouble at school a few times over the course of a few months and had a note written home. And I don't know if you remember those days. I, I do. The, the shame and the guilt and the feeling like you're never quite good enough. And in a moment of honesty, this 12-year-old said to his mom, he said, Mom, I just want a new start. I wonder if there's any of us here today who feel the same way. That you look at the shame and the guilt from your past and something you did And you think, God, I just wish I could have a new start. Or maybe the boxes of pain and hurt have begun to pile up in your heart. There was a breakup or a divorce. There was a betrayal. Someone hurt you badly. And you say, God, I just wish you could heal that wound. I just wish that I could have a new start Or maybe you find yourself feeling isolated and alone right now. That with all the quarantining and the shelter at home, that you find yourself going, oh, I just feel so lonely. And you're anxious and you're afraid and you're full of fear. And you say, God, I just wish I had someone to talk to about that. I just wish that I could have a new start. You can read books, you can listen to podcasts, you can start new business ventures, you can begin new relationships, you can remodel a bathroom and just try to take your mind off of things. But what we all need at the deepest part of our soul and our being is to know that we are clean and forgiven. To know that no matter what we've done or how far we have wandered from God, that you could have a new start, that you could be born again. 
In John chapter 3, we meet a man named Nicodemus, who despite the fact that he was wealthy and religious and well thought of, he needed a new start. Here's what it says about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could do the miracles that you're doing if God were not with him. A little bit of background here about Nicodemus. He was a part of a religious group known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were well respected in society, but they were also against Jesus. Their primary issue with Jesus was that he claimed to be God. And they considered that blasphemous. But there was something about Jesus that intrigued Nicodemus. There was something about his miracles and teachings that were like nothing Nicodemus had ever seen. So he took a risk. He went to see Jesus for himself. It's worth noting that Nicodemus didn't rely upon his group and what they said about Jesus. He went to see for himself. And I wonder if there's any of us here today who have something similar. You kind of grew up with some thoughts about who Jesus was that you got from your parents or from your childhood. You have some thoughts about church or Christians, but maybe you got those from someone else. Maybe it was just what you were raised in. Or maybe for you, it was your group of friends or what you've heard about Jesus on the media. Maybe for you, it's, it's somebody in your life that you're close to and you just always thought these things to be true. Would you be willing, like Nicodemus, to come and see who Jesus is for yourself? Now, you're watching this message, and I don't believe that that's an accident. I believe today that God may want to show you the difference that Jesus Christ can make in your life. Not just someone else's life, not your spouse's life, your kid's life, your friend's life, or your parent's life, but the difference he can make in your life. In fact, in this story of Nicodemus, I see three phases that people go through when they're trying to find Jesus. Here's the first phase that we all kind of go through, and it's the hiding phase. I don't know if you remember, but when Jesus came to Nicodemus, the author included this little detail. He said that Nicodemus came at night. The only reason to include that detail is if you want the readers to know that Nicodemus did this in secret. And the reason Jesus or Nicodemus did it in secret was because he didn't want the Pharisees to find out that he was meeting with Jesus. If they found that out, Nicodemus might get kicked out of his group. He might be ostracized. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe there's a little part of you that thinks, you know, if I get serious about my faith, kids at school are going to make fun of me. I'm just going to kind of get pushed out of my group. Or if I get serious about my faith, my dad, my brother, they're going to sort of just roll their eyes and go, really? You're like one of those Jesus freak people now? Are you kidding me? Or maybe it's not so much other people that you're hiding from. Maybe you're hiding from God. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you think, boy, if I commit myself fully to God, I'm going to have to stop, stop doing that. And you don't want to stop doing that. Or you think that God must be so angry with you and mad at you, and so you hide. 
Several years ago, I was weeding a flower garden in my house, and I took a pile of weeds across the street, and I dumped them into some weeds that were over there. And honestly, I didn't know if this was my neighbor's property or if this was government-owned wetlands, but I had dumped weeds over there before, and other neighbors had as well, and the neighbors who lived closest, they had never seemed to mind. But that year, we got some new neighbors. And so about 10 minutes later, I was in my garage when I heard the wife of these new neighbors yell up to her husband, who was up by the garage. And she said, hey, who dumped these weeds over here? And I was in my garage, and so I hid behind my minivan. And so I was kind of hiding behind my Toyota Sienna minivan, peeking out at her. And I couldn't hear what her husband said, but I saw her look over at my house, and I knew that she knew. And so I'm not proud of this, but at the moment, I did what I thought I should do. I hid. I went running into the house. I locked the doors. I pulled the shades. I told the kids. I said, just be quiet, and you get a popsicle 10 minutes from now. But my oldest son was outside playing basketball, and he just threw me under the bus, He came inside, he said, Dad, the neighbor's here, she wants to talk to you. And so as I'm walking to the door, I'm thinking to myself, why do you care? I'm dumping weeds into weeds. And this is so far from your house, I didn't even think that that was your property. But by the time I got to the door, I knew what I needed to do. I needed to apologize and take responsibility which I did. I went and got my wheelbarrow, walked across the street, and took the walk of shame. And it was a walk of shame because everybody was just standing me, watching me do this thing the whole time. But isn't that the age-old game that we play with God? We sin, then we hide, then we justify our sin, and we say, God, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, come on, there's other people who are doing way worse things than I'm doing. Why do you even care, God? I'm not hurting anybody else. And then we feel a sense of shame. And then we hide again. We do it with neighbors and we do it with God. But what if you knew you no longer had to hide? What if you knew that you didn't have to keep a secret anymore? You didn't have to worry about other people finding out what you were doing, but you could come before God and God's answer to you would be yes, Yes to forgiveness, yes to a fresh start, yes to new life. You don't have to hide anymore. Here's the second phase that we go through after the hiding phase. Often we enter into a questioning phase. So when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus could tell that Nicodemus had some questions. And so here's what Jesus said to him. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now today, we have the New Testament, and so many of us understand what it means to be born again. It it simply means to put your faith in Christ, and God changes your life. But Nicodemus, he didn't know any of that. And so he was confused, and so he looked at Jesus, and he said, How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Again, Nicodemus had some questions. As I mentioned, when I was in college, I started to explore 
who Jesus was for myself. And I remember this very specific moment where I thought, what have I just done? Do, do I really believe that some dude rose from the dead? Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but people don't normally do that. They don't normally die and then, oh, Uncle Johnny was dead, but now he's back to life again. And so I thought, do I really believe this? Because of, I was feeling like that, I picked up a book. And it was a debate between a Christian and an atheist on the topic of the resurrection. Did Jesus Christ really come back to life? Now, the atheist who was debating, his name was Gerd. So you know he has to be smart. Right? I mean, if you want your kids to go into sports or athletics, probably shouldn't name them Gerd. If you want them to sound really smart and intellectual, that might be a name that you would choose. So I thought to myself, when I put this book down, I am going to lose my faith. The opposite happened. When I put that book down, I thought the historical evidence points to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Christian's arguments were stronger and more factually based. For instance, did you know that 11 of the 12 disciples were murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I think we all know people who die for religious beliefs that they think are true. Suicide bomber, someone like that who thinks, oh, if I do this, well, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to have rewards, and I'm going to be in paradise. But here's how the 11 disciples were different. The 11 disciples who lost their life, they weren't dying for something that they thought was true. They were dying for something that they would have known was false. They would have known if they were lying about seeing Jesus in resurrected form. They would have known if they were lying about the tomb being empty and Jesus Christ coming back to life. Now, I don't know about you, but I know people who will lie for something they think is going to give them power or prestige. But the moment you say to them, hey, recant that belief or we're going to cut your head off, they're going to go, Phew, I ain't going out like that. I mean, they are going to recant that belief as quick as they possibly can. And yet the disciples never did that. They ended up losing their life because they were so convinced that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. As I began to explore answers to my questions, God began to reveal those to me. And look again at what Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, it is possible to be physically alive, but spiritually lifeless. It's possible to be physically alive. You've been born out of your mother's womb, physical birth, but to not be born spiritually to be physically full, but spiritually to be empty. And when a person is like that, they often go, gosh, there's, there's, there's got to be more to life than this. Several years ago, Tom Brady was interviewed by 60 Minutes after he had just won his third Super Bowl. And since that interview, he married a supermodel named Giselle. They have a net worth of over $540 million dollars. And Tom Brady has now won six Super Bowls, considered by many to be the greatest quarterback of all time.
But in that interview with 60 Minutes after his third Super Bowl, here's what Tom Brady said. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe there's a lot of people who would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. This is coming from a man who someday is going to have a statue of himself outside Gillette Stadium in New England. I hate to break this to you, but nobody's putting up a statue of you or me. Okay, you might have just won salesperson of the year. And congratulations about that. I'm, you know, I'm happy for you. But three years after you retire, you're not going to walk into the break room and see a statue of yourself next to the Culligan machine. There, there's no 12-year-old who's sitting around going, man, when I grow up, I just want to be like Joe in accounting. I am watching that guy since I was nine years old. And I just, if I work hard enough... And I believe in myself. Man, I believe I can account like that accountant has accounted. That's not happening for you. It's not happening for me. But it is happening for Tom Brady. He's living the American dream. He's married to a supermodel. He has a net worth of over $500 million. He has six Super Bowl rings. And here he is in a moment of gut level honesty. Saying there's got to be more than this. It's because 20 Super Bowl rings could never fill the void that's in the human heart. Look what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, God has set eternity in the human heart. In other words, no amount of fame, no amount of fortune, no status could ever possibly fill the void that's in our heart. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can do that. Do you feel that? You may never win three Super Bowls, but I'm guessing that you've had some level of success in your life. Maybe it was in athletics or maybe in school. Maybe it was in your career or your family or a promotion or you finally got what you had always wanted. Apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will have a moment lying in bed before you fall asleep going, is this it? Because I always wanted that membership. I always wanted that second home. I always wanted that car. And, and now that I have it, God, there's got to be more to life than this. It's because God has set eternity in our hearts. And that void can only be filled by a relationship that is eternal with Jesus Christ. So, so go ahead and ask your questions. Go ahead and explore the doubts that you have in life. But at some point, we have to make a decision. And that's the third phase that people go through when they're finding Jesus. It's the decision phase. So Nicodemus had a choice. Was he going to risk his career and his reputation and become a fully devoted follower of Christ? Or was he going to walk away? Jesus doesn't give him a long time to make that decision. Look at what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. 
What a promise for you and I right now. Everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. He goes on to say, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in God's one and only son. Five times Jesus uses this word believe because he wants Nicodemus and he wants us to know that we are not saved by religion or rituals. We are not saved by good deeds. We are saved by belief in Jesus Christ. And that belief or that faith, it's not your parents' faith. At some point, you have to take this as your own. It's not your parents' faith. It's not your pastor's faith. It's not a faith that there's a God who exists or there's a God out there somewhere. It's a belief or a faith in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's saying, God, I trust you. I surrender to you. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And that if I will trust in him, I too can have the promise of eternal life. And when you do that, the penalty for your sin is paid. You have the promise and the peace of knowing your eternity is secure. And God's light begins to shine into your darkness. You're going to see some people come out on the platform in just a moment who have a story. And these are real people who attend our church. And these are real stories of what God has done in their life. You're going to see the power that can happen when God's light shines into our darkness. Take a look.
fresh start? Anyone watching this message who says there's so much shame and guilt from my past? God, I just need a new start. There's so much hurt in my life over what someone else has done to me. God, could your light, could it shine into my darkness? Anyone who says, I, I feel so alone right now. I, I feel so isolated. I feel like I'm full of fear and anxiety. And God, I just need you. I, I just need a fresh start. Jesus says that you can be born again. If you would believe in him, you would have the promise of eternal life. In all the fear that we have right now about the coronavirus and whether we will get it or someone we love will get it, Jesus says, there's another headline for you. He who believes in me will not die, will not perish, but will have eternal life. There is coming a day when there is no more Parkinson's, no more disease, no more divorce, there's coming a day when there's no more rejection or depression, no more crutches or casts, no more wheelchairs, no more chemo or radiation, no more suicide, no more school shootings, no more stress or anxiety, no more coronavirus, no more disorder or darkness you will be born again. But it doesn't happen through religion. It doesn't happen because of a ritual or doing good deeds. It happens when you believe in Jesus Christ. So I wanna invite every one of you watching this message right now. If you have your phone nearby to take it out and to text the word story to 555-888. And the reason is because every single one of us has a story. Any of us could have walked out with phrases of our old life and the difference that it makes when God's light shines through. You have a story. And when you text that word into that number, you're gonna see some choices that come up on the screen. 
and you can punch in A, B, C, or D. And maybe you are a person who says, I'm, I'm A. I have already invited Jesus Christ into my life. What a moment to celebrate. What a weekend to say, God, thank you for the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the peace and the assurance that I have in him. And is there someone in your life who needs that same hope and that same assurance? Others of you might say, you know what, I'm, I'm B. I want to invite Jesus into my life. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, and today is your day. Today is your day to step out of the old life and to let God's light shine into your darkness. And I'm so proud of you and happy for you. Others of you might say, I'm C. I want to consider it a little bit more first. And that's an okay place to be, to be asking questions and to be exploring who Jesus is. You might want to pick up a book like Lee Strobel's Case for Christ or Case for Faith to explore a little bit further or meet with a pastor at your campus, just FaceTime them or something or email them because we want to help you through this. My hope is that by this time next year, you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm in the B category. And others of you might simply say, D, I'm not interested. And you might even be surprised that we've included you on this list. But here's what I want to ask you. If there's even a sliver in your heart that says, you know what, there might be a God and he might know me and he might love me. Would you begin to pray and just say, God, would you open up my heart? And we've got a series coming up on relationships and you don't have to be a believer to need wisdom and help in your relationships. And I want to invite you personally to tune into this next series because whether you're single or married, whatever your relational situation is in life, I think you're going to get something out of it. And just that simple act of tuning in, maybe God would reveal something to you in your life. And maybe next year you would be in a B category or maybe you would say, you know what, God has shown his light into my darkness. I want to close us in prayer and specifically I want to pray for those of you who said I'm a B. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ today. Let's pray together. God, I pray for every person who is listening to my voice right now. God, I especially pray for those who say, today is my day. I believe in Jesus Christ and I want the hope and assurance that only he can give. God, right now in the quietness of their own mind, they're just going to pray with me. God, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died to pay for my sins and that he rose again. And God, I ask right now that you would forgive me. I ask that you would save me. I ask that you would give me the gift of eternal life so that I can live with the hope and the promise that you offer. God, there are others of us who we've already prayed a prayer like that. What a celebration, God. With all that's going on in the world today, to know that our eternal life is in your hands and to know that everything that happens to us, you are in control. God, we celebrate today that Jesus Christ is alive and our hope is in him. God, we thank you that you are a God who sent your son who loves every single person on this earth. And that we thank you that the tomb is empty 
and that death has been defeated. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. I want to invite you back next weekend for our drive-through love series. We'll see you then.